Hey, it's Love Coach Heidi. Welcome back for another video. I'm so glad that you're here. I hope that you're enjoying this series on the different attachment personality patterns. If you're new here and you're going, what's an attachment personality pattern? Well, you happen to click on the fixer today, but we have been discussing the eight, I've come up with eight different personality attachment personality patterns, and you can find every single one of them over at lovecoachheidi.com. So feel free to go over and check them all out because here's the goal. The goal with this is to figure out kind of who you've been, right? My theory is that you're really not who you are fully. We're mostly who we've needed to be. And codependency is a way to function in dysfunction. It is like, uh, I think Melody Beattie described it as a normal response to abnormal people. And as a codependency coach, it's my goal to help you identify your unique codependency patterns so that for the sole purpose of being able to break free from those patterns. Patterns aren't pathology, right? So where, where a psychologist or a therapist is going to deal in pathology and kind of label, right, you with this, with this disordered type of way, we're not dealing in disorders. We're dealing in patterns here. And the really amazing thing about a pattern is that you can interrupt that pattern and you can change it. So here's the, here's the theory of the attachment personality patterns. When you're born into a family dynamic, particularly one that is dysfunctional in some way, whether it be dad or mom was an alcoholic or an addict, or they were absent, or even they were smothering, or just not firing on all cylinders, all the way to abusive or neglectful, abandoning. You know, we think, well, I'm over it, right? Here I am as an adult, and thank God that's in the past, and, and I'm over it, I'm here now. But likely what happened is, when you were born into that dysfunctional family, you were hustling and scrambling to try to find a way to survive, thrive, connect, or cope in that family of origin. And you took on what I call an attachment personality pattern, and that's just a way of being in the world to make that stuff work right? To be at least either get the love you wanted or just from stop being hurt. And the fixer pattern is one that we see particularly in families of addiction. Okay. It can be any kind of dysfunction, but in addiction, we see this pattern a lot. So when I describe the fixer today, I'm going to give you the five core traits of a fixer. Now, again, there can be a lot more behaviors, way that this shows up in your life, but I think you'll find that if you can relate to some of these traits or even one pretty significantly, then odds are that you've been acting as a fixer in your relationships. And again, the great news is you can start to work your way out of this behavior. Once upon a time, you took on that fixer role in your family and it worked for a while, right? I mean, I remember when I was a little girl, we lived in this house that had a backyard with a big, big kind of windy, bendy tree. And I used to go in that tree all the time and pretend to be Wonder Woman, you know, and that, that was that tree was like my invisible jet and I would climb up in there. And here's the truth. I didn't just like Wonder Woman. I thought I was Wonder Woman. I grew up in a family where with an alcoholic and I remember around me, things could be breaking down, right? We didn't know my dad, it was dangerous a lot of the times and he would leave messes around, not just physical messes, but psychological messes, emotional messes, right? He'd go in with the other siblings and create a problem or there'd be obviously never a dull moment growing up with an alcoholic, but I remember running around 
trying to fix those messes. One time I was sitting on the couch, this brown corduroy couch, right, back in the day, and my dad stumbled in. My siblings were running around crazy. I don't even know what was happening. My stepmom was in the kitchen over a boil, praying in tongues, over a boiling plate, uh, boiling um, pot of potatoes, right? Just like casting out the demons because all hell was breaking loose. And my dad kind of like stumbled in the room with a bloody head and like some kind of rag holding his head and he stumbled in drunk and he looks at me. I'll never forget it. He goes, Rain, he called me Rain my whole life, never called me Heidi, always called me Rain. He goes, Rain, you're the glue that holds this family together. And in that moment, I was like, I don't know, 12? I had my chest like puffed out and I was like, that's right. And immediately I leapt into action, ran around, figured out what my siblings are doing, calmed everybody down, got my dad a better rag for his head, sat him down, propped him up, got him a cold drink and went into my fixing mode. And maybe you can relate to that as a kid growing up where the, the fixer is often equated to if you do any kind of work with adult children of alcoholics, you'll find Janet Woiditz really pioneered this work in the 70s. And one of the family roles, she called this the hero. And it's similar to that in many ways where we're really superheroes swooping in to save the day. And you might find the hero dynamic or that fixer dynamic is a super responsible kid. Usually, you know, things are falling apart at the wayside, but the hero or the fixer in the family dynamic is washing the dishes, making the lunches for the other siblings, making sure everybody's brushing their teeth and the bedtime stories are read. And oftentimes the alcoholic or addict is like, well, I'm not that bad. Oh, everybody's taken care of, but it's not them taking care of anything. It's oftentimes the fixer or the hero in the family that's taking care of everything. There's a fine line I do want to tell you between a fixer and an enabler. So a fixer, a hero, isn't afraid to call out the problems. In fact, they're adept at calling out the problems where sometimes an enabler doesn't desire, they want to make the problems pretend they don't exist. And that's a pretender personality. And we can, we're going to go into that app um, later on in the series. But with a fixer, I want you to think about like a superhero. They're always swooping in and saving the day. And what happens as a kid is many times, they, as a child, you do end up getting some significant sense of value or self-esteem from playing that role. And let's be real, it keeps everybody safe to some extent, right? If you're running around and making sure many times I would run around making sure grabbing my keys for my dad or hiding them or making sure he didn't drive drunk or, you know, finding ways to clean up the mess, there'd be, you know, the whole house would be in shambles and he'd go up to bed and I'd spend, you know, the next two hours cleaning up all the beer cans and putting everything away and making it look normal, lighting candles in a, in a, in a smoke filled house to make the nicotine kind of go away and pretend that we had a Hallmark card you know, making everything nice, right? So that we can pretend in some way, the pretender can relate to this too, that um, it's all gonna be okay. There is a false sense of power with a fixer. Uh, many times you feel um, like you actually are fixing problems, but at the end of the day, the alcoholic is still an alcoholic, okay, right? Underneath everything is, but you have the illusion uh, because really you're functioning in the dysfunction. So let's get into the five core factors. As an adult, how does this behavior affect you? Because it's one thing to be nine years old going on 40 and, and cleaning up everybody's mess in the household. But what happens when you become an adult? 
what are some of the telltale signs that this is not working for you anymore when it did where that personality served you kind of well for a long time? When did it stop working for you? Okay, here's the five core traits that you might, could be, are likely a fixer. Number one, you consider yourself an empath. You have, and you are, okay? You don't consider yourself, you are, right? You know what people need. You have a sixth sense about you where you can just know what people need when they need it and you feel people's energy. You feel what's happening. Now you could walk into a room and get a vibe. You, you can read a room, you know? You know in that room who's struggling, what's happening. Now there's a fine line between, is this a gift? Is this a spiritual gift? Like I, I would call that the gift of discernment where you just kind of know that you know what's really going on. You can get at the truth, right? Um, where uh, for me, like I'll see somebody and even in a session, a coaching session with them or what have you, where they're telling me one thing, but there'll be like a download behind them, a movie screen of their life playing where I can see what's really going on with that person. I just kind of know what's really going on with their feelings. Sometimes you might find that you know what's happening with somebody even when they don't know what's happening. Now there's a fine line between, is this like a spiritual giftedness? Is this something I'm born with? I'm an empath, it's a spiritual gift. It's probably a mix because adult children of alcoholics or addiction or dysfunction are also hypervigilant and highly tuned in to knowing having to know for a survival skill who needs what and what's going on at all times. You get that sixth sense about you as you practice it so much throughout your entire childhood where, you know, your dad would say he's not drunk. I know mine would say they're, they're not drunk or whatever, but I knew exactly how many beers my dad had just by how he stepped out of the car. He'd come out of the car and walk up the hill and I'd be like, oh God, okay, that's two beers. All right, all right. Well, that's shit run. That's eight. You know, we'd kn I'd know just by the way he stepped his foot out of the car sometimes with a sixth sense of what's going on. So as an empath, that's a great thing. Well, Heidi, that's not a problem. I, I love being an empath. Well, what about when it drains you, where you don't know how to set up the boundaries around you, the emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical boundaries around you, and other people keep violating your space and getting their energy all over you, and then you don't know how to leave it. It's like you feel these feelings and you're like, are these mine? You lose your compass. You don't even know sometimes if it's your feelings you're feeling or somebody else's feelings. And if you're a fixer, you need to learn how to set up those emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical boundaries so that you can maintain your own energy even when you're dealing in the, the energy of other people. That's going to be really important for you, okay? Number two, now at your core, um, this is going to sound like, oh, I don't really think that, but I promise you if you search your soul, you probably do. Deep down, there is a belief that most people are kind of incapable of really taking care of themselves, okay? That you really do know best. Like a controller, app, uh, attachment personality pattern who really believes it's their way or the highway. The difference between a controller and a, um, a fixer is a controller wants to be in charge of everything because that's the, it's the ego in them, right? Where they want the power. A fixer really wants to be in control of things to, to genuinely help. That's a difference with you as a fixer. Your heart is truly in the right place. You genuinely want to help people and you genuinely believe that you have the best way to go about it. Now it becomes a problem for you when you 
overstep your boundaries. You might find that you're offering assistance and help to people that don't even ask for it. It's like you almost can't help yourself. You walk into a situation and you can see that empath, empath, you know what's going on. Well, you might find as a fixer, you're a little bit overbearing sometimes. You put yourself into people's situations. They're not even asking for help and you just start giving the help. You just, you know, but they're not even asking. And that's a problem when you're inserting yourself and for many reasons, one of the main reasons that's an issue is because, you know, part of the beautiful thing about people and their growth in life is that they are allowed the opportunity to figure things out for their own mistakes and their own trial and errors. So unless you're directly being asked for support, sometimes it's better to let people figure things out. You know, even raising my six year old at the time I'm making this video, Believe me, there are many times I want to step in and figure it out and, and help her because I know the best way, but I love watching her figure out what is her way. What's the Tao of my daughter, right? Everybody has their unique Tao or way. And sometimes we want to, we want to do it our way, right? Well, this is how I would solve this problem, or this is how I would fix it. And I believe this is the best way to do that. And so we can kind of overstep our boundaries a lot and be fixing problems that we weren't asked to do that. Can you relate to that? The third thing, oh, is that when we do insert ourselves, I said, oh, because this is a big one. Even if you give people help that asked or didn't ask, when they don't follow your advice or they do not do the thing that you said, right, or they're not grateful for your help, you become resentful of those people. Well, how dare they after everything I did for them? See, fixers are always there for everybody else. But what happens is when they need help, nobody's there for them because the way you set up your relationships with people, they're very one-sided. It's all you give, 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 and it's all them take, 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 and then you get resentful. You reach a breaking point where you're like, A, they're not doing what I told them to do, and that's that's so troublesome to you, right? Or B, they're doing what you told them to do, but they're not reciprocating for you, and your relationships are extremely unbalanced. You find when you need somebody, nobody's there for you, and so if you're having that resentment, that's an indicator that you need to heal your fixer. You need to heal your fixer. We're gonna go on with how do you heal that fixer, uh, and we're gonna talk more about that in a little bit. So here's number four. Why do you do all this? Why do you do all this? Well, at their core, a fixer needs to be needed in order to have a relationship with other people. I want you to do a relationship inventory right now. I want you to think of all the relationships that you have and I want you to ask yourself, are they caseloads or friendships? What role are you playing in people's lives all around you? Are you the consummate therapist, the consummate coach? Are you the rock? Are you the one that everybody goes to all the time? Now I want you to ask yourself that quite another question. And this is really important. This is a soul searching journal entry question where you write it down and you take your time to answer. Do I believe I have value if I don't do anything, right? If I stop, helping, if I stop fixing people's problems, if I stop answering the phone at two in the morning, if I stop running to the rescue, at my core, do I still feel lovable? You want, you know what? At your core, all fixers believe, this is heartbreaking, that you have to earn your keep, that you have to earn love, that unless you are providing something for somebody or fixing their problems or helping them, that you're not lovable. And so 
all relationships turn out to be this kind of transactional love, transactional love, where controlling attachment personality pattern will have a conditional love. I love you when you behave a certain way. I love you if you do this. They're trying to control somebody's behavior. Fixers have a transactional love. You know, I'm going to do this for you so that, and they don't, you don't know this going in, but you think I'm going to do this for you because it'll endear me to you. You'll need me. And then if you need me, what? You'll love me. So I want you to start to think about what would happen if you stopped running to the rescue of all these friendships and relationships and you pulled back a little bit, would you feel unlovable underneath of it all? And that's a really good indicator that you are endearing yourself to other people because you believe at your core that you have to do something in order to get people to really love you. You're not just lovable because you're inherently lovable, which you are, but you don't believe that, right? You believe you have to provide something. Number five, uh, and this is a big one too, where people, a lot of fixers don't see this because the nature of the, the trade is that you don't see it. You're so busy focusing on other people's problems that you very rarely have any real insight into your own. There'll be a lot of projecting where you'll think everybody else has the problem. You'll be able to see everybody else's problems. You'll often project your problems under other people without even realizing that's actually your problem. <laughs> um, I know for me, I spent so many years, for example, trying to fix my dad's drinking. You know, if I could just say the right thing or do the right thing, uh, I can get him to stop drinking and really um, live his life to his fullest potential and all the things I saw were possible for him. But behind closed doors, even though I appeared successful and was doing all these things to help people, I was actually drinking too much. I was actually the one that was binge drinking and because I wasn't an everyday alcoholic, I thought, well, I'm not as bad as my dad. My dad has the problem, not me. But if I didn't have that focus on my dad, I would have been able to quicker or sooner see, oh, I think I drink too much. And it wasn't until I detached from trying to fix my father and fix these other people in my life that I realized, oh, I have a lot of work to do internally. Now, how do you reform your fixer? Because there are parts of you that we don't want to get rid of, right? There's what we want to aim for is integration. We want to integrate the parts of that fixer that are healthy, that are uh, wonderful about you, that are unique to you, but we want to eradicate the things that are dysfunctional, codependent, and toxic. This overgiving, this endearing yourself so that you can get earn love, this feeling resentful when people don't follow, feeling it's one-sided. So a lot of reformed fixers actually become coaches or therapists. Now that's a way for them to give and feel like they're helping or they volunteer. I want you to think about channeling your desire to help people in a way that's more interdependent, right? In your friendships, it's codependent. They give you kind of love or you think love and you fix all their problems and that's codependent. Interdependent is where you become a coach, a therapist, you provide, this is becomes part of what you do and you're interdependent meaning there's an exchange here. You know, your clients are actually feeding you, you know, monetarily, they're giving to you and you're giving to them and that's interdependent. Just like the, the bees and the flowers, right? We're all kind of giving to each other. So there's going to be an innate desire in you to want to keep giving, but ultimately to really reform your fixer, you really have to come to the ultimate understanding that you really don't have that much power, 
that you really don't fix anything at the end of the day, that things are what they are and you function in the dysfunction by getting the sense that you're fixing. Like if you're even as a coach, you know, when I'm working with a client, I don't take the credit. You know, lots of clients want to give it to you, right? They want to say, oh, you changed my life and you helped me so much. And that's great. I love that. Believe me. But ultimately, at the end of the day, who's doing all the work? The clients are the ones actually transforming and changing and working. And the other thing is to be a fixer, you have to believe that everything's broken. You have to come from that perspective, right? And now, now this is a really elevated conversation. You know, there's, I always say to all my students in life school, which is Love Yourself First Empowerment School, which is a place to overcome codependence. And some of you are watching the video in life school now. So I always say to you guys or my students that there is three levels of understanding of this material. And the first is beginner where you just kind of learn about your pattern. The second is apprentice where you start to live in the, live in the understanding of it and your understanding grows and deepens because you apply it. And then mastery is where your perspective continues to grow and you continue to deepen even more your understanding. And now you're living and walking your talk and really these principles kind of take deep root in you. But one of the principles to really understand is, you know, the, 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 how to let it be, how to let go, because you really don't have any control over any of it anyway. It's all an illusion, right? Even the fixing with the presupposition that something's broken to begin with, you know, most people are functioning exactly how they need to function for where they are in their life. Right. Um, when they come to you and ask you for your assistance, we want to make this more of an interdependent type of relationship, right? Where we're we're kind of feeding each other. So I can help you with all those things. If you're curious more about life school, if you're not watching the video there, but you happen to be watching this video on another platform, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you like the video wherever it is because it really helps us help more people. Ultimately, the video gets seen more. I mean, that's why we really want to be liking and commenting and things like that. It's just, it's helpful. Um, share this video, you know, with anybody in your life that you believe is a fixer or that, you know, you can, you can understand you better as a fixer. And then the other thing is we can always deepen our connection and our relationship by pursuing some of these opportunities to work together. You know, if you want to come on board in life school, I'd love to have you. If you're thinking about becoming a coach, and, and really kind of transforming into more of an interdependent type of a relationship with people. I'd be happy to um, get on a call with you and see if that's a good fit. I certify um, a small group of coaches each year so I can focus one-on-one -on -one with them and, and go deep. Um, but anyway, I, I'd love to work with you even more, get to know you even better. Uh, please keep coming back for the videos and as always, love yourself first. Okay, remember that love is not a feeling, it's a verb. It's something you do, not something you always feel. Okay? Love you so much. Have an excellent day. Bye-bye.